finishing our series today called What's Next, right? We've been in this for a little while. It's been since about Easter time. You're like, wow, it's, it's really been a long time in 2 Timothy, right? Well, good. 2 Timothy is a great letter to read. Um, so if you haven't had the chance, I encourage you to spend some time, maybe this afternoon or next week or some point this week, uh, is sit down, crack open your Bible, right? So, you know, sometimes when you open your Bible and it's been open for a while, it kind of like makes those cracking sounds, right? So when I say crack open your Bible, I was like, crack it open, right? Get a physical Bible, crack it open and go read all of 2 Timothy, right? In one sitting, read it. Right? Hear Paul's words. As we, we finish the series today, you get, you get to see his heart that he has for Timothy, right? his heart that he has for the church and the next generation that we've been talking about. And so we've been highlighting what's next, and really the key thread, the key theme throughout all of this series is that we are responsible for raising up the next generation of devoted disciples. Like we. Turn to your neighbor and say we. Turn to your other neighbor and say you. Turn back to that other neighbor and say me right? You, me, we, we are responsible for raising up the next generation of devoted disciples, right? When you sign up to start following Jesus, you give your heart to him. He begins to rearrange some things inside and you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive, right? We, we know those things, but there's something that comes in, in response to that, is that we get a new heart, a new burden for the next generation. We get a new heart, a new burden for those around us, and we are responsible for raising up the next generation of devoted disciples. You see, we're meant to hand down the ways of Jesus, helping them flourish in a broken world. And we celebrated that last Sunday, right? When we talked about Father's Day, we talked about, you know, God-based masculinity and God-like fatherhood and how these are crucial ingredients really to society, right? Fatherhood, motherhood. We talked about that at Mother's Day. I love that the series was kind of, you know, it fit both of those two key themes, those key values, kingdom values in it, right? And we've talked about the next generation tools and how they really are these key ingredients to raising the next generation, to what's next for our journeys and our lives. We are responsible for raising the next generation devoted disciples. And that's what Paul has been imparting upon Timothy, See, Paul, who is at this point, as he writes this letter, it's towards the end of his life. As many scholars believe, and you've heard us say, but this letter, this writing from Paul is probably and best known as his last on earth. So this would have been his last letter that is canonized in scripture, that, that you know, kind of his final parting, his last words for us. And he's imparting upon Timothy, who he, we would see and who he calls a son, a spiritual son. Somebody he cared about deeply, somebody he, you know, had the blood, sweat, tears with as he journeyed through life. And he writes this letter to him to encourage him, to challenge him, to keep his eyes on the main thing, to keep focused on the, the things of God, not on this world, in a culture, right, to set the stage in a culture of Ephesus that was, was pretty gnarly, right? It had a lot, of, a lot of paganism that was going on. They had temples devoted to you know, Artemis and the worship of, of fertility, and they, had, they used you know, orgies to, as acts of their worship, right? And so that's the culture that Timothy's living in. He's trying to spur a church on, try to call people to Jesus, and that's the, that's the, the, the culture that he lives in, right? We're like, well, that's pretty messed up, right? It's pretty crazy. And then we look at our culture, like, that's pretty messed up. It's pretty crazy, right? All of culture, all of humanity, for all the time, if left alone, we go to the wrong direction, don't we, as we know? With sin in the mix, we go the wrong direction. But as we look at the final words of, of Paul to Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4 today, so if you're Bibles, you can join me. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, our main verses that I want to preach from is 
chapter Timothy, verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. But I wanted to start today in the, at the end. I wanted to start at the end because we're going to preach through 1, verse 8. But I want to read you 9 through 22. So they're not going to be on the screen. I want to read it to you and work, work, work you through it. Because I think it's important for us to see, because Paul gives his final command, his charge in verses 1 through 8, and we're going to talk about that and what we can pull from that. But I want you to hear again the humanity of Paul. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, when I read scripture or I, I look at it, I, I sometimes forget that these were real people. Right? This was a real man right, who experienced real pain, real suffering, right? real relationships, like all of those things. And we look at it like, ah, this is 2,000 years ago, so... How do I connect with it? But here now, Paul's final words, his final words is encouragements, his, you know, his needs list. You can kind of see this in here. So before we jump in, I'd love to invite you to pray with me as we jump into God's word today and just pray that it would speak to each and, one of our, each and every one of our hearts. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that's alive and powerful. God, we thank you that we could sit here in 2023, Lord, and still hear your truth, God, through your eternal word. God, we thank you that uh, we get to gather. We thank you that we get to hear your word, that we get to, Lord, learn it and grow with it. And Lord, today as we, as we crack open our Bibles, I pray that your voice will be heard, Lord, in this time, and that your word, which is sharper than a double-edged sword, God, would, would, would cut into our hearts and we'd hear your voice. And Lord, we just give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So join with me as we read through, and I'm going to kind of talk through a little bit of this final part of of the chapter, as I mentioned, and then I'll preach through verse one through eight. But it says this, it says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can, right? So he highlights this, this is like I said, it kind of is a transitional letter. He says, please come as soon as you can. You know, as old, old Paul is writing, right? Most likely speaking to a scribe who's writing. He says, Timothy, get here quick, right? (laughs) You know, have you guys ever got that text from somebody? It's like, get here now. Right? And we're like, get in the car and go. And Timothy can't get in his Porsche and drive. He's got to take the real horsepower to get there. Right? Like, it's not, it's not going to get him there. He says in verse 10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of life. And Titus has gone to Thessalonica. Right? He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So get this picture. See this man, old, beaten, in prison, and mostly alone, right? See where we catch him here. He says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. He said, I'd sent Tychicus to Ephesus and Carpus to Troas, right? He said, oh, he says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He says, when you come, to me, when you come be, sure, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. He's like, don't forget my coat right? So he's like, hey, get here quickly. I'm feeling alone. Winter's coming. I'm cold. Bring my coat, right? Bring my coat. He says, also bring my books and especially my papers. He says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done, right? He's recounting some people that he and Timothy would have known. And he says, Alexander, he he came against us, right? And he's, he, and and this is how Paul responds. He says, be careful of him. He, for, for he fought against everything we said, but he says, the Lord will judge him, not me. I'm not going to stew in judgment over Alexander, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, you know, stay in that place. I'm going to let God handle the judgment part. He says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. I'm just thinking a moment of where you felt completely abandoned. 
Paul was abandoned alone. He says, may it not be counted against them for those that left him. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. You see, Paul had a mission, a call upon his life to go to Rome, to go speak to the Romans, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was, he's known as the apostle to the Gentiles, which are Gentiles are those who weren't Jewish that didn't know Jesus yet, right? So we are Gentiles, you know, if we're not Jewish, um, and so Paul, he, he was called to preach to them. And he says, I went and preached. Everyone abandoned me, but I stood when the Lord stood with me and he gave me the strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. And if you read through Acts, you see that there was points where rocks were hurled at him, where he, the, the crowds thought that he was basically dead and he, was, and he you know, survived. There was points where they, they picked up stones to kill him and to stone him. And he was able to slip away and, and escape. So that's the journey that Paul has been on that he's writing to us in. He says, yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Right? Paul's reminded and remembering that the future is not in the present, but it's in eternity. Right? That God's got something secured for him in eternity. That he says that he will rescue me right? He will deliver me from, any, from every evil attack. We're like, Paul, you still got rocks and they hit you in the face, bro. Right? He's like, God's got my rescue in eternity. He's got the thing for me in eternity. He says, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And he says this in verse 19. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings, and so does Pudence. Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. He says, may the Lord be with your spirit and may his grace be with all of you. Right, and so these are the final words that we have penned by Paul. Right, his final words is encouragement. He's reminding them, hey, there's, these are real people. He's reminding them, hey, you know, remind those things. He says, bring these guys. Timothy, you know, watch out for Alexander. He's, you know, he kind of came against us, right? He's remembering those things. He says, bring my coat. It's going to be cold. Get here before winter. So as we see this, as we've unpacked this part, we get to see this final charge that Paul gives to Timothy, kind of like his final preaching to Timothy. Right? He gives these final thoughts, bring my papers, bring my books, bring all this, watch out for this. God rescued me. But he gives us in verse 1 through 8 today his final commands, his final charge to him, his final encouragement. In, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Right? So he says, in response, in regards to everything that I've said in the rest of his letter, I solemnly urge you, right? No jokes here. Right? So Paul's trying to say, like, there's no jokes here. He's like, I urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Basically, like, what if we lived our lives in a way that we were in the presence of Christ Jesus and God at all times? Right? That would change, that would change some things, right? We'd change some priorities, wouldn't we? Right? We wouldn't turn some things on the TV at home, right? We, you know, like, it would change how we interact. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Right? What Paul is doing here is he's reminding Timothy to get back and make sure you keep the right things in focus. 
right? God's authority, God's judgment, that we are accountable to him, right? Live in a way, Timothy, that you see, that you put God, the reality of God, number one in your life, right? The reality that God is real, that Jesus, his presence is with us. That is the reality that we need to live in. That is the reality he's encouraging Timothy to live in. You see, for me, as I, as I processed what it looked like to follow Jesus as a young believer, right? As I was a 16-year-old, I said yes to Jesus officially. I had a little Christian background, but I was mad at God. I was mad at people. I, you know, I actually said I hated people. Like, Lord, forgive me still. You know, like, I just didn't like people. And as God began to rearrange my thoughts, my hearts, my desires to where now I had love for people, that met in the middle of my heart sometimes, can it kind of look kind of ugly, Right? But as I followed Jesus and the presence of Jesus became more real to me, right, that pushed more and more out. Love won in my heart. Thank you, Jesus, right? Right? Love won. As the presence of Jesus became more real, as I pursued him more than I pursued the world, as I focused on him more than I focused on myself, priorities changed. As I loved others as Jesus loved me and loves them, things changed. You see, we get to experience the reality of his presence. And friends, as we talk through raising up this next generation of devoted followers of Jesus, we need to teach them, teach those around us, the next generation, to live their daily lives in light of a larger spiritual reality. Right? That's what we need to do. We have to live in a way that there's a larger spiritual reality working, on, working around us. You see, there is a spiritual reality, right? If you didn't know that, right? There's a battle going on between good and evil, Right? A battle going on for your soul, for your kids' soul, for your grandkids' soul. There is a real reality going on. Right? And we can't just act like, you know, we can't do like the, the, the bird goes into the sand, puts her head in the sand, the roadrunner, right? Like, you know, I don't get to hear anything, right? No, the rest of your body is going to get ran over by a train, right? It doesn't happen like that in the TV show, though. Um, but we, you know, just going to hide, right? We have to teach them, we have to teach the next generation to live their daily lives in light of a larger spiritual reality. Right? That there is an enemy out to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? And we have to live that way. That the enemy's after our souls. Right? And we look at the next generation and we're like, man, man, there's a lot of pressures on society and culture and our schools and things like that. Yes, that is the reality. The enemy is trying to destroy humanity. And Paul, right? We need to, we need to get that in our heads. He's out to destroy. And Paul is reminding Timothy, I urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, right, to recognize the presence, that you need to walk in his presence, that you need to live in his presence, in the reality of his presence, of his truth, and his, and his peace. Right? We need to speak and live in light of that spiritual reality. We need to be accountable to it. Right? We need to live in a way that as we point our kids, hey, there's a world around us that's, that's tempting us, right? As we talk, we talk with our kids, they're still young, right? They're still beginning to experience temptation, right? When they go to a friend's house for a friend's party. Drew, my son, went to a birthday party for a friend yesterday. And we get in the car, and he's gotten used to our kind of normal spiel that we give our kids, like, hey, be nice, be respectful, right? Have self-control, don't eat too much food, right? Because, <laughs> you know, your kids, like, you know, you're, when you're around, you can say only two slices of pizza, one slice of cake. When you're not around, they're just like, all the food is mine, right? <laughs> right? And so I get in the car, and I, I turn it on. I look at Drew, and Drew says, I know, I know. I didn't even get to get the words out of my mouth. He says, I, what do you know? I said, what do you know? He says, I know self-control, be nice, like all those, those things that I've told him before. And so when he got home, he's like, dad, I only had two pieces of pizza and a little bit of cake. 
right? Right? And so he learned that self-control because there's these temptations in life, right? That are you're gonna see smorgasbord, pizza, cake, all the goodness, no parental control. I will eat it all, right? <laughs> and so he knows. And so as I've talked through that, I, I've be, I'm able to turn that to spiritual principles, right? There's going to be things in life that are going to look tempting. There's going to be things that are in life that are going to look like you just want to overindulge on. Well, what's overindulge? It means that you just eat too much and you're sick, right? And he's done that before. He's eaten too much like Twizzlers, licorice, and like he got sick. And he's like, I'm like, get out of here. I don't want to see that coming back up, right? Not, no, please don't. But I've helped pair spiritual values and spiritual truths with living in life, right? And we, we as parents, we're trying to lead our kids in that way of like, hey, look, temptations are going to come against us as well. And we try to share that. We try to share those with them so they know that they're living in a spiritual reality, right? Where even in these small ways, the enemy's trying to get inroads in their hearts and their lives, We need to teach the next generation to live their daily lives in light of a larger spiritual reality. Paul goes on and he says this in verse 2. He says, preach the word of God. Right? He's telling Timothy, he says, hey, right? Preach this. He's like, you're going to get a lot of good ideas. You're going to hear a lot of things that might sound really good to you. He says, but focus on this. Preach the word of God. He says, be prepared whether time is favorable or not. Other translations say in season and out of season, right? Whether things are favorable or not, whether it's the right time or not, make sure you're ready to preach the word. And a lot of times we preach the word is not by just standing up on a stage, it's how we live it out, right? That's preaching the word. That's living the word. More than just a talking person on a stage, we live the word. That's us preaching it out through our lives. You can preach the word. You can do that through how you live. He says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Right? There's a key word there at the front end that I don't like. It says patiently. (laughs) Anybody else struggle with that one? Right? Patiently correct, patiently rebuke, patiently encourage your people with good teaching. And Paul's talking to Timothy, who is a spiritual leader of our church. Patiently lead your people, your kids, your grandkids your families, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage. And I can imagine Danielle, who's upstairs in kids' ministry right now, she's saying amen because I struggle in that one. I'm like, (gasps) Um, need the help there. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. He says, for a time is coming, hear this, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell the truth. Whatever their itching ears wants to hear, I said itching, make sure you hear that, They will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Right? He says there's going to be a time coming, right? Their time is coming. And for us, as we sit in 2023, the time is now. Like we're anytime after Jesus died, resurrected, went, ascended to heaven, we are living in the end times. We're living in a time when people act like this, right? Where they only want to hear what they want to hear or what it is is itching to them, right? It's these things that are coming against us. And basically we see it's, we have to ask the question, what is gaining our loyalty? What is gaining our loyalty? And I love the imagery. This thought came to my mind as we do this is we, as we like to desire to get these surface level scratches, And I thought of this dog, and I don't have a dog. I'm not a dog owner. I'm not a dog lover either, so sorry, guys. Um, But you know when a dog, like, you're scratching the dog, and all of a sudden you find the right spot, and the dog starts to kick? 
right? I don't like that, but some people do. They're like, hey, watch my dog, Fido, right? He spins a patch and the dog's like, leg just starts going crazy. I'm just like, no, I don't want, I don't want Fido to have a good time right now. This is not the way I am, right? Um, you guys are like, wait, weird. Um, but you know, so like you scratch this itch and it, and it creates, a, the dog begins to enjoy it, right? And we as humanity do the same thing, don't we? Right? We look for something to scratch the itch, something that'll make us feel good in the moment, something that'll, you know, that our ears like to hear, right? But that's, the, only, that's the, whole, the whole thing is that it's only scratching the surface itch. It's not dealing with the heart, right? It's just scratching here. And we see that in society. We see that in culture. They will follow their own desires. They will look to teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Right? They will reject the truth and chase after myths. He says, but you should be clear. Keep a clear mind in every situation. Friends, we need to keep a clear mind in every situation so we too aren't falling into this. Peter writes it this way in his letter about false prophets, false teachers, right? Those that are our voices that we allow ourselves to listen to. He says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 through 22, it says, these people, talking about false teachers, false prophets, people who speak the wrong truth, he says, these people are as useless as dried up springs or a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, Right? They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. They appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who barely escape from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Because when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they get tangled back up, enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better if they had not known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. And then hear this in verse 22. It says, they prove the truth of this proverb, quoting a proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Right? It's kind of gnarly. Right? But what he's saying here is when we lead others astray or we allow ourselves to be led astray by other voices than the word of God, right? Other voices than the Lord, right? And as I stand up here, like I know that what responsibility I have, right? Know that. When I crack this thing open, I keep saying crack open the Bible, but that's what we do. When I, when I open this thing up and I begin to speak from it, I know that I in, inherit a double layer of, ju- double portion of judgment. And if I'm not, right? So hear that. And so that's why I hold this thing with reverence. I'm like, okay, like, God, I, I want to speak your truth. And if I'm not speaking the truth, like, I, I have leaders in my life. I have people, you know, Pastor Susie will walk up here and say, hey, you should probably be quiet, right? You know, like those different things, right? But we process the word of life. We process it together and we look at it and we hear it. But if we're allowing these other voices that promise freedom, they promise escape, but they use these appeals, they brag about themselves, empty, foolish, boasting, right? Like these false teachers here said it's, like people, like us, like humanity, and hear that, those imagery, we don't like to deal with that. A dog returns to his vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. We don't like to think of that, but here's what we need to remember. So we're all messy, right? We're all unclean. We're all dealing with those things. And that, the imagery there, we see that. And uh, if you've never seen a pig in, in a pig, in a mud pit, I had pigs growing up, uh, they really like mud pits. And what they do in mud pits is they pee in them. 
It's gross. Right? They're like, this is so awesome, I should pee here. And then they roll around in it. Right? So get the imagery here of what we do in our own lives when we allow ourselves to fall in this way. You see, for the next generation and for ourselves is we have to teach them to ground themselves in God's word, not in shifting thoughts and feelings of culture. Not in shifting thoughts and feelings of culture because the culture is going to have, it's going to talk a lot. It's going to try to be loud. It's going to try to be noisy. And it's going to try to drown those things out. And the way we do that is by knowing the truth, by getting God's voice, by letting this be the loudest voice in our ears and our minds and our head. We have to teach the next generation to ground themselves in God's word, not the shifting thoughts and feelings of culture. So we have to know who we can trust. We need to go to God's word. And God's word continues to be the only stable source of wisdom and leadership and living. And as we see this and we wrestle with this reality of the world around us, the culture around us, and we get frustrated and angry and, and you know, sometimes like we want to go fight, like we, all those feelings come out of us and we have this emotional response. But here's what we need to do. Our emotional response needs to be tamed and funneled into kingdom action. Right? When we see the depravity, we see the sickness in the world around us, we got to come first to, with grips of the sickness inside of us. Give that to Jesus. Give that to Jesus. Right? Give that to Jesus. We got to continue to live that way. We have to preach this message to ourselves first. Right? We should channel it into kingdom action. We got to tame those emotions. Right? If we're passionate and angry about, as we've been talking about, we've had CareNet come in about abortion, like we should be channeling that energy into how we can help people in these circumstances. Get involved with CareNet. If we're mad at the foster crisis in our, in our society, we should become foster parents, right? These, like these two right in front of me, right? We should channel that into kingdom passion and kingdom energy. Or else we end up just screaming into the void of culture and it just ends up nowhere, right? We got to channel it into kingdom action, Channel it into things that, that will make a difference in the world around us. We do this because as we see with Paul here, he kind of gives us, like I said, his final thoughts before his, his words here. He says in verse 6 through 8, he says, As for me, he said, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Right? He says, hey, I, I've done, I've ran the race. We see it different places. He says, my life has been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Right? He's saying, Timothy, look, I, I, I went through all of these things. You know the hardships that I've, that I've endured. You know what I've had to experience in this journey that we call life and following Jesus. Right? He met me on the road to Damascus. He knocked me off a horse, some people might say. Right? All those things. I was blinded, and then I was able to see. I got baptized, and I finished the race. The gospel. Like, he's like, I did all these things. I fought the good fight. I've Finish the race and remain faithful. He says, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. He says, this prize is not just for me, but it's for those who hold on to Jesus. Those that hold on to the most important thing. And I, I don't know, as we read this, I don't know where Timothy was at in his life and ministry. Right? Maybe this was a hard point. Maybe this was a low point in Timothy's life and ministry. You know, we've had those moments in our lives where you're going through a hard time and you get that text message from somebody and you're like, whew, I needed that in that moment, right? 
You're just like, man, I'm going through the rough stuff. The storm in my life's going crazy. And someone sends you a text out of blue because the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They're like, boom, you get that text and it encourages you. And Timothy's remind, Paul's reminding Timothy, hold on to the most important thing. The prize is ahead of you. The prize is eternal. The prize is the kingdom. The prize is you know, out ahead of us. You see, the best thing that we can give the next generation is a testimony of radical faithfulness to Jesus. Right, hear that, friends. You're like, I don't have a testimony. Well, if you radically are faithful to Jesus, that's a testimony. Right, if you hold on to Jesus through every storm and the, your next generation, your kids, your grandkids, your husband, your wife, if you're holding on to Jesus, no matter the cultural shakeups, we say, oh, the world is going to all heck in a handbasket, right? You know, if the election season goes this way, the world's going to end. Great, if it ends, we're going to Jesus. It doesn't matter. But what am I holding on to? What am I focused on? Right, what am I trusting in? You see, we have to have a testimony that shows that we kept our eyes on the prize in a world where riches and acclaim try to steal, kill, and destroy. But we held on to faithfulness to Jesus. See, we need to teach them to keep their eyes on the prize, and that's what our job is to do as we lead the next generation of followers of Jesus. Teach them to keep their eyes on the prize. Teach them to know that, that life might be hard, but it gets better because we have Jesus, right? We can share that story. We can live that story. We can, we can impart that story to the next generation, right? Through our examples of faithfulness to Jesus, no matter the circumstances. We're telling the story of Jesus. We're holding on to those things, right? We teach them to keep their eyes on the prize by showing them what we're proud of, Right, not just the cars, not just the jobs, not just the, the house, not just the accolades that, you know, looking at your kid and say, and I remember with Daylin when she was just starting to figure things out and she was like, you know, breathing one time and I would just, I sat down with her and I said, hey, you know what's beautiful right now? She's like, what? And I was like, your, your breath. She's like, why? I was like, because every breath is given by God. Every breath, every inhale, every exhale, it's a gift from God. And she's reminded me of that, of, that same, of that conversation many times. Sometimes when I'm putting her to bed, she's like, do you hear my breath? I'm like, yes, I'm glad you're still breathing. Thank you, Lord. She's like, that's from God. Right? We can show them and we can tell them what we're proud of. I'm proud of the, the breath that they have when they live it in the ways and for Jesus. Right? We also show them and teach them to keep their eyes on the prize by how we suffer, by how we handle the hard things in life. Because we're going to, right? We know this side of eternity is pretty, pretty gnarly, right? I've said that word early about Ephesus, but about American culture, about the world culture, it's pretty messed up. There's a spiritual reality going on that we are all trying to live in, navigate. There's suffering that's going to come. There's hardship that's going to come. You see, when we experience the criticism and rejection for our faith and our worship or in our workplaces or our families, right? How we respond, what we hold on to, what is our primary value for our lives and direction for our souls and our spirits? He says, so that's what is going to lead the next generation. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 6. He says, so you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Right? You experienced some hardship, right? You began to follow Jesus, the, Thess- the Thessalonian church. You began to follow Jesus, and it wasn't easy. Right? The culture came against you. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, instead, be very glad right, when suffering comes. 
right? James says, be very glad. Peter says it here. He says, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. You see, here's a thing that we need to remember is that we are not victims. We are heirs of glory. We are heirs of glory. We need to teach the next generation that they're not victims, they're heirs of glory. We gotta point them to the glory of the kingdom of God, to the glory of the kingdom that is not founded on this earth, that is not anchored in the present, that is not anchored in our hardships. It is anchored in an eternity that is perfection, that is wholeness. And we need to act that way as as followers of Jesus, that, that we are not victims, we are heirs of glory. You see, how we handle suffering and worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. How we handle suffering and victory demonstrates the reality of God and the goodness of the prize that awaits. Right? How we handle suffering and victory. You see, no matter what happens, right? Teaching our kids, no matter what happens, victory or suffering, it will be worth it. Right? No matter what goes on. So as we look at this, as we as Christians, as people, of followers of Jesus, those maybe checking out this Jesus thing, right? We need to walk in a way humbly, right? We need to win in life humbly. We need to suffer joyfully, knowing that a greater reward awaits us. And so as I think about closing this series out today, as I think about what our next step is, because we're always looking towards our next steps, right, is I want to spend a moment interceding for the next generation, I want to spend a moment for us praying, crying out, interceding is going, intercession, intercessory prayer, if you've heard of that before, interceding is going to God on behalf of somebody else, right? And so if you haven't been doing that, man, I encourage you, start interceding, right? Start praying, go to God, like, God, I'm coming to you right now on behalf of Zach. Zach's my brother, right? I go to God on behalf of Zach a lot of times because he's walked away from the Lord. He knows the truth, but he's going his own direction, right? That's what intercessory means. And I know as I've been preaching today, the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart about somebody in your life, your journey, that he's saying, hey, I've called you, I've placed you in their life for a reason, right? Our key idea through the whole series is we all have a, are responsible for raising of the next generation of devoted followers of Jesus. We're all responsible. We're all responsible. So this morning, I just want to invite you guys to stand in this auditorium. Maybe God's been knocking on your heart. Maybe it's for a grandkid. Maybe it's for your kid. Maybe it's for neighbor kid, whatever it is. Maybe it's for your husband's child, whatever it is. But let's get serious. Let's get passionate, passionate about those that don't know Jesus yet or that are going the other direction. Let's get serious and intercede on their behalf. Right, let's, get, let's just lay it all out to the Lord. If, if anything that I could do, I look at my brother, I'm like, I don't know anything I could do or say that would change the way he's living or thinking. And me, who talks for a living, gets tongue-tied talking to my brother sometimes. But let's go to the Lord on behalf of them. Right? We are not victims. We are heirs of glory. We have to teach them to keep their eyes on the prize. We have to ground ourselves in God's word, not in the shifting thoughts and feelings of this culture. Teach them that we all have a role to play. Teach them that there's a larger spiritual reality going on. So let me pray over you, and then I'm gonna invite you guys to come up front today. Like, 
you know, let's put some movement to our, our faith. Let's put some movement. Sometimes that's what I got to do. I got I to gotta move, you know, and as we do that today, if you just want to come down and just pray for somebody, pray for, pray for a loved one, I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you today. Gregory would love to come pray with you on behalf of a loved one with you as well. But if you'd like some prayer, we'd love to do that. But if you just want to come down here and just cry out to God, God, Lord, I'm lifting up so-and-so to you. I'm interceding on behalf of them. I'm showing up here. They're not in church. They might be far from church, but I'm coming up here because God, I need you to, to make a way in their life. Let's get passionate about the next generation. Let's get passionate about those who don't know Jesus. So let me pray for you. Then I'm going to invite you guys to come up as we sing the song. And so Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that, God, that you don't leave us in our muck, that you don't leave us in our, our messiness. God, that we are all broken in a variety of ways and varying degrees, Lord, and we walk in this broken world, Lord, looking for things to make us whole, looking for things to potentially scratch that itch on the surface, but knowing deep down it will never satisfy, knowing that there's something inside of us, God, that we're longing for, and that's you. That's your truth. That's your love. And so, God, today, as you've been knocking on hearts in this place today, God, may we not just, just be bystanders, Lord, of, of the kingdom. God, but we would be engaged fully with what you're wanting to do in the world around us. Lord, just as you, through Paul, wrote to Timothy and encouraged him to preach the word, to correctly rebuke uh, and patiently rebuke and correct and lead, God, may we be people who walk with you, who preach the word through our lives, through radical faithfulness, through radical trust in you, through radical just holding on to you no matter the storm. God, may we tell that story to the world around us, far greater than any sermon we could preach, God, anything we could write on a page, God, but the testimony of, your, of us holding on to you radically, not being victims, being heirs of glory, Jesus, in this world around us. And so God, we thank you, and it's your name we pray.